Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is uh, February 7th, 2021. We are ready to begin our worship service. Uh, We're going to begin with the thought of the week and prayer. Thank you, Doug. And we'll start with the thought of the week. First, we have this phrase from Romans chapter 3, verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Here is a verse that speaks loudly about our salvation's righteousness. The Jews were convinced that having the law and attempting to keep it was in some way credit towards God's salvation. They were immensely proud to have the law and felt privileged to be the recipients of this valuable knowledge of God. If anyone was close to God, it would be that. God's ways were embedded in their culture, and even their holidays were celebrations around the working of God. Even though they knew they fell short of keeping the law perfectly, they insisted this was the way to God. Now, this verse clearly says this desired righteousness is not to be gained by this pursuit of law-keeping. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin, from Romans 3.20. By doing their absolute best to keep the law, they would never achieve this righteousness according to God. Two important points should be made here. One, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no obedience necessary to attain this righteousness, only faith. Imagine that. They were working hard for something that was given only by believing in Christ. Two, and then... Our verse nails it by saying that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Well, that settles it for me. The Gentiles didn't have the law to keep at all. So then all received this desired righteousness apart from the law, Romans 3.21. Are you pursuing salvation righteousness according to the law or some moral standards? I hope you know that all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, Romans 3, verse 24. Now, then we have a couple selections from Romans 3, which we look into, and I'd like to offer some commentary on that. And basically, the um, simple principles of salvation here, one I think what we see pointed out in the thought of the week is that righteousness and the law are standards. And the standards for those things are so high that no one can keep the law perfectly, nor can righteousness be earned by any kind of work or attempt to keep the law. These are standards that are far above anything we human, mere mortals, can do. But through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have that exact righteousness. We have it through faith in Jesus Christ, and it was given freely to us. So imagine that. Not only is it free, 
the work has already been done and it's simply by believing in Christ Jesus and trusting in him that our soul salvation is made available to us and we become part of the church and there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And that's my comment and then we'll have Dave offer prayer on our behalf. Thank you. Hey, um, if anyone have any special prayer requests, maybe to offer up for the throne of grace for God? Sure, Dave. Uh, I, I was just thinking, as we were talking earlier about the launch of our new website that we wanted to, uh, which is wordistruth.com, we wanted to put out there, uh, we pray for its successful reception in the world as, as we are getting the message out. Okay, anyone else? All right, let's bow our heads to the, to the throne of grace. Dear Father, and who are in heaven, we also want to give you thanks for allowing us to participate in this service this morning, Father. Father, we also have given you special thanks, and we ask you to look over us at the church, Father, as we have many opportunities that we are trying to achieve. Father, we ask you to look over us so we could do it in your way, Father, and not in ours. Father, we have, we want to give you special prayer to our church, Father, as a whole, as a family, that you are, look, continue to look over us, Father, and we, we will be faithful only to you, Lord. Father, we know that you love us, Father, and we know that we love you, Father, so we ask you, Lord, as we both were just saying, you will give us opportunity to hear the message and believe, Father, what is sounded to us by sound doctrine. Father, we ask you for a special prayer request for our pastor and our church, Father, that we may continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask this in, in, in all blessings, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Amen. David and Dwight. We appreciate that. Um, we are going to continue uh, our service where we left off last, it's been two weeks now because we did not have service last week, it was canceled. So this week we are focused on John 15 and verse 20. If you have notes, you should have them. Uh, I will read from the notes and we'll begin. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Christ was working hard to, develop, to help the disciples understand the reality that would soon be theirs. There will be no escaping the facts. The world with its ruler would indeed hate and persecute them. Knowing this information before it happens gives us perspective. Understanding why there is opposition gives them a leg up on the enemy's strategy. The hatred is based on the new way made possible by our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not only the person of Christ, but it is what he has been teaching. If you fail to understand or believe the teachings of Christ, you fail to take your place in the battle. 
take some time to learn the direction of the church so that you can, uh, we can accurately represent him in this world and live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That's uh, the last half of Ephesians 4.1. So this is where we are. Uh, John 15.20, we are making our way through chapter 15. Before you know it, we'll be in 16. I think we kind of understood now where this chapter has taken us and some of the metaphors used uh, to help us understand the points here. And I think we, we, we can safely say that through what we've been through, verse by verse, we have uh, covered a lot of those points. Now, of course, I didn't exhaust everything there was. There's always more. So as we continue to grow, we'll see that more. Let's see if we can take this uh, verse apart a little bit. So remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. So the first thought is, remember, and where did Christ say this? He said exactly this in uh, Matthew 10. So let's take a look at Matthew 10. Uh, Matthew 10 and verse 24. So here's what it says. Just well, It's going to say the same thing, right? But his quote was, The student is not above his teacher, above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. So he's saying literally the same thing um, that he's saying here. And obviously, remember, the key word is, I would say, from my searching the scriptures, this is must have been uh, where he was referring to. This is the only place I find these words. Of course, I could have missed some, but and I would stand corrected. To find these words right here, and it deals with both subjects, that this verse, remember I told you a servant's not greater than a master. Uh, and then he follows with the part about the teaching as well. So here's where he reminded them of these words. Now, of course, it was in the midst of struggle, persecution, hatred. Right? Look at verse 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the word... But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor the servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants to be like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. So that's the context that it's in. A little different context than what we have. But the instruction is still uh, relevant to what we need to talk about here. About uh, how important it is that we know that we're going to be persecuted. How important it is that we know that we must adhere to the teaching. How It is so important. So that's where I just wanted to bring to you where Jesus said that. He said a lot of different things about servants and masters and teaching and so forth, but that, I thought, was right there 
with the same wording. Point B, as we grow up in Christ, recall is an important part of our lives. Truth must be built on truth. Therefore, it requires us to be focused on truth. Think about it. You, if you had disconnected information when you were growing up as a child and you were learning how to read and, and you know, world history and all the things they teach, math, you know, uh, social studies. I don't know if, listen, it's been a long time since I've been to school, but some of those things can't be replaced. English in, in school. So imagine if they were trying to teach you that, but they didn't have any consistency, no syllabus. Uh, you know, they teach you one thing one day and then something unrelated the next week or, you know, and then something else related. Uh, before you know it, you can't focus. You, there has to be focused learning so that you're aiming toward a goal. And if we're going to grow up in Christ, recall, right, what you remember. Like Christ told them, remember what I told you. Right? He didn't say this to, so that, you know, you would forget it. He said this so you could build on it. Now, it's certainly appropriate to be reminded of things that we heard before. Certainly. And that's what Christ is doing here. He's reminding the disciples, hey, remember what I told you? And, and, and he lays it out, what it is. Because it reinforces what he told them as important. So we, in our growth, we have to keep, keep, keep that in mind. This is, and this is, leads us to the next point. Sermonizing, which is popular today, is not building truth on truth. Uh, it's causing many to drift in their focus and lack specific direction from the spirit of truth. The sermonizing is just like that. I mean, you know, today people are looking to move audiences, have emotional uh, speeches given. And uh, all of this garners a lot of attention and, and causes people to be emotional and, you know, drawn into a lot of the things that are being said and uh, how they're said. So, but then the next week they come back and there's a whole different topic. Hey, you know, I thought about this other topic and here's where we are. So you go from one emotional speech to the next. And today that is what is called sermonizing. It's this is what's happening in a lot of places that a lot you pull into a lot of churches because you can do that even more now online. And here's what is the popular thing: the, the minister's there and he's trying to get people emotionally engaged. When really, really, he should be building truth on truth uh, because without that, many are drifting. And they don't have focus. So when you start talking about some plan that all of this is according to, and this is a component part of the plan, here's another component part, here's another key piece. And they can't put it all together because there's no actual building of a foundation and building on that foundation. So unfortunately, uh, it lacks the direction. The teaching does. So what happens in the people? They become like children tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. 
And this, you know, whatever sounds good emotionally to them, that's what they take. This is what ends up being the order of the day. So the spirit of truth is the direction. He's the one taking us down the road. Right? He said, I'm much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. And then the Holy Spirit comes. So there's a specific message we have. It's not just random speeches that I find interesting. There's a specific message that we must be for and focused on so that we can grow. So uh, keep that as we are thinking. A servant is not greater than his master. A student is not above his teacher. right? Because the teacher is leading the student somewhere. So point, point D in our notes. Servant, not greater. Christ said on many occasions that those who would come after him would not escape hatred and violence from the world. That's, when he's talking about the servants not greater, he's talking more about persecution. It's important that you know that you're not going to escape persecution in this world. Uh, and it, there's a slew of scriptures here, and this is how Jesus says it. I'm already in Matthew, so I'm going to go read Matthew 10, 37 through 39. says, anyone who loves the, the, their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So notice, there's going to be conflict, and the conflict is going to be even within the family structure. Father, mother, daughter, son, right? That's There could be differing opinions about who Christ is. Christ says, I did not come to send peace on earth, but a sword. Well, that sword comes to families and divides. Many people were divided about who is this Christ, right? Is he the Messiah or is he not? And then a lot of Jewish families, even today, have a hard time when the subject of Christ comes up because it brings a lot of uh, tenuous discussion and emotional uh, behavior, uh, some, you know, fighting to say that Jesus is the Christ, others denying that fact vehemently. So this is tough, even within families. But Christ says it straight. He says, listen, this is more important than your earthly family. This is more important, your eternal salvation. So, but then he says this, in verse 38, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. We've read a lot of these scriptures before, and uh, we, we understood what it meant, what type of commitment ours would be in this world. Anybody who seeks to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. So in this verse here, Christ is saying it's gonna, there's going to be some divisions. And not only that, if you're going to follow me, then if you have to pick up your cross. That's the only way. You can't do it in secret. This is not something that you can hide and then at the end say, well, I was standing there, Christ. I was right there. But you, you, you were not standing with Christ. You're not going to be worthy of a reward when I come. The fact that he used the word worthy of me says... That you're, it's, you're, what you've done is not worthy 
of a reward. And just know that a lot of people are in this category. They do. They want to follow Christ, but they don't want to depart from what is the norm and standard of this world. They want the world to like them, so they will uh, not raise their voice or be very congenial when it comes to this world, and then privately hold these truths in their heart. Well, that might be enough to get you saved, but will never be enough where Christ is proud of us when we reach the judgment seat of Christ. Whoever does not take up their cross, what does that mean? Verse 38, it means suffering. Taking up your cross is, is siding with somebody who was crucified for this cause, not just for any cause. It's this cause that we're talking about. And if you don't take up your cross and follow me, he's saying, you're not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. You think you've got a life in this world? What's going to happen? You think you're somebody? You think you, you have a place in this world? Well, you will lose it because this is you don't belong to the world. And whoever loses his life, in other words, you give up yourself in this world. Your reputation, who you are, what you stand for. The fact that you have the life, the, the right to live your life how you want, but you give it over, you lose it. For my sake, we'll find it. I think this exemplifies the Apostle Paul perfectly. He says, I was a Jew, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, I was this, I was that. He says, I count it all loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. All of it I lost. I consider it as dung, refuse. And I, I throw it all away for the sake of Christ. His, and that's his whole life. His whole life was being a, a Jew. His whole life was being a Pharisee, a teacher of Pharisees. And he, he would throw it all away just to be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own. Let's continue. So then there's Matthew 16, 24. I'm going to go over to 16. This is after Jesus said, who do men say that I am and all that. And Peter jumps up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he tells him in verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Same language, just a little later in Matthew. So this is interesting as I think about it, of how it is just a little while later, Christ said this right here in the Word. And I'm going to go to Galatians 5.11. You know what? I'm going to go fast. I've got a lot of scriptures, so I want to make sure we get them in. Galatians 5.11, brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Think about what he's saying here for a minute. If I'm still preaching circumcision. When he was preaching circumcision, he was a Pharisee. And he wasn't getting persecuted for that. But now that he has stopped that, and, and now we understand circumcision means nothing. 
In the church age, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free. It doesn't matter if any of those things don't matter. If he was a Jew, yeah, that would matter. But now that he's not, circumcision doesn't mean anything. So he's saying, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Notice, there is an offense of the cross. Paul is willing to adopt that offense because he knows that he is standing with the person of Christ in his sufferings. And Christ didn't just suffer. It's not just about suffering. It has to be around a cause. Christ is the Messiah, and it's the way that he he has come and he has given us the revelation of this new age and the new information and teaching around that age. So it's not just about, well, I'm suffering too. But, but then if you're not teaching the same message, right? if, if, you, if you're not being suffering for the right reasons, then it's not suffer, the suffering of Christ. So th- these verses, and then the last one I'll, I'll think about here is, well, um, 6.12 not the last one, but Galatians 6, let's look at 12. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do it, they do this, is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. See, notice, the persecution is around the teaching. If, if Notice, these people are trying to compel you to be circumcised. And Paul is saying that reason they're doing this to avoid being, to avoid the conflict of being persecuted for the cross of Christ. So here, these people know about Christ. Most likely they have accepted Christ, but they will not talk about, they're not under the law and all that. So a lot of this comes as Christ came to the world and was persecuted. If you're going to stand with him, you're going to be persecuted. These people didn't want to be persecuted along those lines because of the teachings of Christ. So just know, there's, therein lies the reason why the persecution comes. The people in the world are not going to know that you stand with Christ until you do. If you hide in the shadows, well, eventually the world will find you. Trust me. There, you, you can't hide what's in your heart. And that's not a good idea to do anyway. As we're going to see a, a passage later, uh, Peter tried to do just that. So, keeping, and then Philippians 3.18, I'll, I'll, this is an important point. I want to read every verse associated because it, it's all, they're all relevant. Here it is. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul is saying, even though they may be saved, and now I'm very upset about this, I'm emotional about it, but they conduct their lives as enemies to the cross of Christ. Well, we just saw what the offense of the cross is, that you will not allow yourself to come under the teaching like Christ says, the t- student is not above the teacher. That means you, you, you're going to follow what the teacher teaches. Right? You will not go beyond what is written. That's 1 Corinthians 4, 6. But those who uh, 
refuse that will think about things that are not related Old Testament, Mosaic Law. They will maintain the status quo when God made a change. God put on his signal when he made the change. He definitely did. And he left it on for an, an extended amount of time that people could see the signal. Then he went ahead and turned. And he turned right to the church. And then either you follow him or you do not. Of course, those who have followed him have run into a lot of suffering. Those who have not have found that, well, staying with the status quo keeps us from being suffering, suffer, the suffering that those other people have. So I'm hoping you're seeing that it is around the teaching here. So let's listen to this. Their, verse 19, their destiny is destruction. In other words, they're headed toward the sin unto death. Their God is their stomach. What's the what's the stomach? Boy, that reminds me of the very thing we were talking about sermonizing before. Stomach means their emotions, right? And their glory is in their shame. The very things that they think will bring them glory, the things they're so proud of. And when all the people are around them with their itching ears, is the very thing that's going to bring them shame at the judgment seat of Christ. Their mind is on or set on earthly things. What kind of information do we have? Do, is the teaching that we have, is that, earth, or, or those, is that teaching earthly things? We, we cannot say that. In fact, the testimony is that the teaching we have is what eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. Or, as Colossians 3 would say, set your mind on things above, not on things of this world, this earth. So, yeah, these people have failed. But we have to learn to recognize when we fail and to recover from that and to, to get back on the horse and keep on going, right? So when we know, when the God the Holy Spirit shows us we failed, then we ought to confess that failure. That's the first thing when we think about healing, is to confess the fact that, yeah, we are not walking according to the truth. And then that it is keeping ourselves aligned with truth. Right? We don't want to live a lie. That's interesting. And you know the interesting thing in First John? That I'm getting that from First John. But, but notice this one thing right here. I'm going to turn to First John. I know this isn't in the notes. First John 1. So here it is in verse 6. This is an interesting point. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. So this is what we've been talking about, about coming you know, clean with God, coming to truth. We're having fellowship with him, yet we're walking in darkness. There's some problem there in our soul. What is it? We lie. Notice, we lie. To lie is to misrepresent yourself. On the outside, you may be one thing, but on the inside, you're something else. And we lie and we do not live out the truth. There's our walk right there. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So there's no duplicity in our soul. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, there, if, if we don't have the honesty to walk with God, because God already sees it. 
He sees your heart. So if you're not honest with him, well, then you lie and you do not live out the truth. So you might as well come clean, right? Like verse 9, if we confess our sins, well, well we, know we, we know when we did something wrong. What is he faithful and he's just to forgive us our sin? That means he will restore us to fellowship and purify us from all unrighteousness. While we, our feet were dirty, while we were walking in unrighteousness and misrepresenting ourselves in the world, and God cleanses us from all of that. He does, he does that for us. It's, these are wonderful provisions that God has for us. Walking in the light as he is in the light, well, that, that means we have fellowship. That means all we have to have is that desire to want to do the will of God. Right? That, that the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It, it's a factor. So we're moving on. Let's go on to point E and number one. Initially, this hatred was not focused on us personally. And why do I say that? It's because we were in Adam. Satan didn't know who the Father chose from eternity past in Christ. It says he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Satan doesn't know who that is. So how can he know to persecute us? But until, until we step forward, right? But so, so it says initially hatred, this hatred was not focused on us personally. It is supernatural hatred because of our identification with the person of Christ. Once identified, meaning once you, you are, Satan does understand who you are now. The baptism of the Spirit has happened and, and Satan sees that you're in Christ. It is personal. Why I say it's personal? Because now he comes after you. Yeah. And that is who we are, literally. Who we are is who he is. We are identified with him through the baptism of the Spirit. It makes us one. So if Satan hates him, he hates you too. You're one with him. And not only the one with him, but we also are one in our thinking, which leads us to the second point. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And there's a few points there. So the first one is since the world hated Christ, we can expect the world to be opposed to us, especially since we have the mind of Christ. And that's literally 1 Corinthians 2.16. It says, for we, who has known, let's read it. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Let, let me turn to it. So 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, for who has known the mind of the Lord so that we may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So no one, the answer to this first question is no one. No one, if you go back to this passage that this is derives from in Isaiah, who has known the Lord as to be his counselor? That God, when God crafted the eternal plan, did he counsel with you or others? No. It is just God the Father, Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's it. No counselors, no people that he appealed to and said, hey, what do you think? So who has known the mind of the Lord? The answer is no one. It's rhetorical. But then he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, it's the fact that you not only you're identified with Christ, you're one with him, but now we have the opportunity to think like him. We have the same mind of Christ. 
there's another scripture that literally says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When it says, let this mind, or this thinking, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, same thing is saying here. We have the thinking of Christ. That is to say that that's what got Christ crucified, literally, is his teaching, his thinking. That's what got him on the cross. So if you will follow him, what does that mean? You have to come after him. So back to that first point, right? So certainly the world's going to be opposed to us since we have the mind of Christ and are being transformed into his image, Romans 12, 2. That is literally what it says. Stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this renewing of our mind means the renovation of our thinking. We're going from earthly things to things, heavenly things. Our focus is to be on heavenly things. Things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, etc. That's our thinking. And literally, it is not of this world. We are not of this world. Christ is not of this world. So we have to see all of that and orient to the reality that is ours. The disciples had to do it. So do we. So that's important. Let's keep going. Um, Point B, 2B. Just want to make sure everybody knows where we are. The world will react to us in the same way it reacted to Christ. And we know that scripture in Philippians 1, 29 and 30. I'll just read it. And we've, we've covered this in detail before, but I think it deserves, this verse, this phrase also deserves another reading of it. 29 says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now still here, and now here that I still have. So this is the Apostle Paul. What, what struggle did Paul have? What problem did he have? It's because he was teaching church age doctrine. He was teaching the mystery, which he he's the one who gave us the mystery terminology or metaphor. Because really it's just a metaphor. But it does speak to the fact that God hid this information within himself and now he revealed it to the church. It is for us. So Paul is saying, because I've been teaching this, now when he was a Pharisee, he wasn't brought before uh, all these people, these magistrates and and, uh, Agrippa and all these people, because he was teaching what a normal Jew would have taught. It did not cause uh, all of this uh, problem, this struggle. But when Paul began to teach that the Mosaic law was not in force and that we're not under the law and that, uh, you know, who we are in Christ and all of that is when the trouble began. So guess what? It caused suffering in Paul's life. So I'm hoping with nothing else you get in this whole thing is that you see the reason for the suffering that we get, that we are that we're going to have when we're in this world. It's not just because people just don't like us. It's not because we're weird or we dress differently or funny and people look at us and laugh. That's not it. 
It's not because we go to the people, some people's door and, with false doctrines and, and, and then they shun us or, or slam the door in our face. It's not it either. It has to do with the specific teaching that comes from this mystery age, this new teaching that Christ introduced to the disciples and told them that would be the reason for their suffering. So I w we have to make sure that plays out in our, our understanding. So a couple, another, a couple more points. Persecution can be physical. This is point C. Persecution can be physical as well as spiritually mental. So we could suffer in a lot of ways. And we, we, when we went through 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 4, and 5, we saw that. We saw that the apostles, those who were on the point of this thing, of this church, those who were the apostles, who had the foundation, man, they underwent a lot of suffering. They knew it was possible for them to lose their lives. Now, God could certainly deliver them. And he um, did in many cases. Eventually, God allowed all of them to be persecuted and martyred even in this world. And we have their testimony in writing as well. So persecution, as we said, can be physical and mental. And what we're saying is, yes, those people were on the point of it. But don't think because just because they were on the point, they received all the suffering we're talking about. And that you... Uh, when you stand up and tell everybody you're a Christian and you're in the church age and all of that, that there won't be any persecution. There will. But it may not be the same as what they experienced. Well, maybe if you were in a different country, you might actually get what some, some of what they got. But there's going to be other ways that they can turn the screws to make you suffer. It's not just physical. Just no. It could be isolation. could be... Uh, rejection of the message and uh, mocking and all sorts of things that happen that listen a lot of these things people are very upset about many people take their lives as a result of things like that so don't think that mental suffering is isn't the same as or worse than physical agony and suffering that could be imposed on you for teaching the truth just remember so anyway, there's here, Peter could run. This is point D. Peter could run, but he couldn't hide from this suffering. Let's look at Mark 14. Mark 14, 66 through verse 72. Let's look at this one. So we get the example of what happened when Peter denied Christ. Well, Peter boisterously said, he says, man... I don't care what other people do. I, and even if none of those, these other disciples, I'm never going to deny you. And then Christ told him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows or before morning. So we have the story, Mark, 16, uh, Mark 14, 66. I'll read it. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. Now, this is Peter snuck in. Remember, they were Christ had different uh, trials. One trial was in the court where it was Annas, and then he was the high priest. And then after they took him to the high priest, after they condemned him with false witnesses, as you know the story, 
then they took him to the Romans, right, to to have a um, to have him crucified with the, through Pilate. So in any case, when he was in that courtyard and they were having the trial at Annas, Peter was kind of skulking, slivering in this. He wanted to know what happened. Remember, he ran. He got away when they were in the garden. But now he just, he didn't run away. He stopped. He looked. He said, well, I'm going to follow Christ. Peter still had a heart for Christ. But he, he didn't want others to know. So this is what he did. Uh, so he says, you... He was in this courtyard warming himself by the fire. And the high, uh, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you are talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. So he moved. <laughs> so he, First he was warming himself by the fire. This girl comes up to him and says this and he, he's like, whoa, she knows who I am. She, let me move away. So he said, first he denied it. He said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, I, I'm, uh, no. So verse 69, when the servant girl saw him there, so she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. So here we are, here Here's his Lord over there being persecuted by the high priests and all the teachers of the law and all those people. And here's one of the people right here. He says, I, I could tell you you're one of them. I know you're one of them. This fellow is one of them. So again, in verse 70, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you, you are one of them. For you are Galilean. I could your speech betrays you. I could tell that you he's Galilean. You're Galilean. I I know this is you. This you are one of them. So then, verse seventy one, he began to call down curses and he swore to them, "I do not know this man you are talking about." Immediately, a rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. So if, if you see Peter trying to hide in this world, literally that, in my mind, is what a lot of people are doing. They, yeah, they have all this in their heart, but they don't want people to know. Because why? It will cause him suffering. Literally, it would have caused Peter great suffering if he would have identified with Christ at that point. But what did he say? No, I, I, I'm not. I don't. I don't know the man. Why did he say that? Because he was afraid that they would treat him the same way they were treating Christ. Well, later, Peter redeemed himself from that, especially in Acts chapter five. If you care to read it, Peter in my mind, was successful. Yes, he failed. Here, miserably. And when he says he broke down and wept, he knew. He ran away, and he knew that that was wrong. He was broken inside. So, our understanding of this is to say that 
Yes, we may have made mistakes in the past as well. But we are identified with the person of Christ. And that identification is not just running around telling people we're identified, but it is about the teachings. Those teachings are going to be caustic to many who listen to you. They're going to, it's going to rub them wrong. It's going to cut across the religious standards and principles that they hold dear in their hearts. And guess what it's going to call? Suffering for you. Now, you can avoid that suffering like Peter. You can deny and hide. But the world will find you out. Just like them, that servant girl said, I, I know I've seen you with him. I know you're him. And Peter, he just made more and more bold denials. Even it says he swore. And he, he began to call down curses. He's, he cursed. Or, or should we say he cussed? But he, however you want to say it. Peter let them know. I'm not one of them, and he ran away. But they were sure. They knew who he was. So it was embarrassing. Imagine that. Knowing who you are. You've been following Christ for three years. And now you run away because you're ashamed of him and his teachings. That's not worthy. That's not worthy at all. But Christ realized later that Peter did redeem himself, that it was necessary. Peter had to go through this. I think he needed this humbling. I think we all do to some extent. So we're going to keep going. I know our time is limited, so I, I have a, one more uh, phrase to deal with. And that's point number three. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. First thought is, assuming that they kept my word, uh, also yours where they will they keep. That's literally weast from uh, his translation. Sometimes if I am struggling to see what that word, that phrase is, I just lifted it from weast, Kenneth Weast, and he's a Greek scholar. And this is his translation of, of the Greek words, assuming they have kept my word. Also, they will keep. Also, yours, they will keep. So, just trying to understand what he's saying. It's about the teaching. Kept my word is in line with all that we have covered uh, when we started studying about the fruit. right? Abiding in Christ. What's abiding in Christ? Later we found... In verse 7, it was about keeping his word. If, if you keep my words, my words remain in you, you know, that's what it was about. Then what did that mean? Well, later we found that that meant how we love him, right? And loving Christ means that we are obedient to him and we're willing to sacrifice ourselves because of him. All of that is in keeping with what we're talking about today. People can avoid that if they don't want to be persecuted. Well, listen, if you're in the world that has this opposition and they crucified your Lord, what do you think they're going to do to you? You think you're going to get away with uh, without any persecution? Listen, you think the world has changed its opinion about Christ because churches are popular now? Absolutely not. They hate him even more. And remember, as we said, this hate is supernatural. Even if they don't understand why they hate you, they're going to hate you. Because 
is this? This is supernatural hatred. It is Satan uh, hating the new ruler who is coming and will throw him in prison uh, and bound him a thousand years. This new ruler is Christ. He already defeated Satan on the cross. It's just a matter of time before God finishes calling out his sons in the glory and that we get to the place through the tribulation of last seven years. Where at the end of it, Satan will be dethroned from this world. He will no longer be the ruler of this world. Christ will. He will reign uh, and rule with a rod of iron. So, point B. This phrase reminds us of the importance of teaching. But not just any teaching. And, that's, see, and this is where we've been, I've been emphasizing all along, right? If they kept my word, they will keep yours. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. Kept my word, same thing in the context, but what does it mean? It's talking about the teaching. Christ, the teaching of Christ was very specific. And that's what the disciples initially did not believe it, which is why you had several verses speaking to that. Don't believe me when I tell you that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe the evidence on the works themselves. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? He would say those things. And this is the new dynamic. Not only uh, was it going on in Christ, but it would happen in us. So a couple of verses, uh, John 14, 26. I'm going to go to that, which not only have we covered this, but it is just appropriate to read it at this time so we know. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So notice, here is not only the teachings of Christ, but the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit for us. And when did that all happen? At Pentecost. This is very key. <laughs> A lot of people kind of look at Pentecost as well. It was big, but they don't know the details. Christ is telling us what we were or should respect, or uh, I shouldn't say respect, expect when Pentecost came. That's, that was it. It's exactly what we were, were to expect. So then 16, 12, and 13, which um, is a verse that we have read, I don't know how many times, can't wait till we get to it. 16, 12, and 13 says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So I can't wait to get to these verses, but they also tell us about the teaching, how important the teaching is. Is the teaching different? Absolutely it's different. If you read these verses, don't come away with what's different than the Mosaic Law. And you, you have failed. You have failed. And that's a very low bar to say that. Because it's clear that we're not under the law. Even the church today doesn't behave as though they're under the Mosaic Law. At least not all of it. They'll take pieces of it that they feel they need in order to supplement what they think is truth which the church age doesn't need any of that so then there's Ephesians 4 
11 through 14. These are important verses because I'm going to set up this contrast of how important it is, uh, how important teaching is. And like I said, it's not just any teaching. It has to be specific teaching. Spirit of truth. Christ linked it to that. And now we have the church age with its unique calling out of the many sons who were conformed to the very image of Christ himself. And then, not only that, is we are being transformed into his image from glory to glory. So all of this is very important. So Ephesians 4.11, so Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And this is what God gives the church. So that to equip people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, notice, and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So it's not just unity in the faith, it's you and in knowledge. So the, ch the church has a very specific message that we are to grow into. Not just any truth, not just any understanding. This direction is where we're going. And become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the goal of teaching. God gave gifts so that we would get to this point where we would grow into all of this. And conversely, if you don't take advantage of what God has given us through the, the pastor-teacher, I mean, all of the people here are involved, right? I know we think it's just pastor-teacher, but pastor-teacher is the one who does teach but the apostles are the ones who lay down this truth, right? We, we are teaching the apostles' doctrine. The prophets and apostles are, are the ones who got the revelation from God. So certainly, they're in the foundation. But what about evangelists? Well, they're the ones who bring people into the church. God has given them a special gift to be able to attract unbelievers. Bring them into the church. So those are evangelists. And then... The pastors and teachers. What's the pastor's and teacher's job? It is literally to do the things that are here. He uses the information that the apostles and prophets laid down. He talks to the people that the evangelist brought in. So all of that is important to us. But the pastor is the one who puts it all together and teaches and equips the people for works of service so that the body of... He literally gets down eye to eye, nose to nose with people, talks to them about reasons with them about these things until we all reach unity of faith and knowledge son of god become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of christ we have work to do right it's not over so then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind that's what's going on today it's a sermonizing thing that's literally what's happening here is the description of it right here Infants here is not little babies. You know how people always want to cop, cop out by saying, well, you know, I don't know anything. I'm just a baby. Yeah, but, but they've been in the church 40 years. But when are you going to grow up? When? When can you stop calling yourself a baby? When can you stop the, the selling out here and begin to grow? So you will no longer be infants, well, babies, not just 
babies on the breast, we're talking about 30 going on three type babies, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there. But what, what is it that's causing this? By every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. So what do you got to do? Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So notice what you need. What will happen if you don't get this type of teaching, this foundational uh, from the church? What's going to happen? Well, that's verse 14 is going to happen. What will happen if you avail yourself of this teaching? Well, you will reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what will happen. So it's your choice. And you will be rewarded richly if you do. But if you don't, well, it's already spoken about what would happen. You'll be deceived, you know, brats, uh, no tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Whatever is on this minister's mind. Well, let me talk about that today. Well, let me talk about this today. Let me talk about the other tomorrow, right? No con- building truth on truth. It's just one, uh, whatever's on your mind after the other. Whatever you're moved by. Well, remember, what are we teaching? The apostles, lay, apostles and prophets laid down this truth. Jude said we ought to earnestly contend for it, which is once for all delivered to the saints. They laid it down. Evangelists are bringing people into the church. Pastors and teachers, pastors and teachers are literally getting down knuckle to knuckle with you teaching these things, hashing them out, reasoning from the word, what is according to the spirit of truth. Uh, we got to keep going. Point number C, where did Christ's teaching come from? The Father. <laughs> and we covered all of this when we went through John 14, but John 12, 49 and 50 is very, very uh, clear about what Christ did. John 12, 49 and 50. I'll just read it. For I did not speak on my own. So Christ is saying, telling you where he's getting this information from. He's, he's not trying to claim that this information is his. Like, well, you know, a lot of people do that. They're like, well, I came up with this. But no, you didn't. It was God who did and the Holy Spirit who inspired you to think according to this truth. But the Father, and he says, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Notice, he didn't say some, all that I have spoken. None of this is me. All I did was get out of the way, humble myself, and be obedient because I love the Father. And I want to do exactly what he says. All I did was get out of the way. It's the Father. Then he says, I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Literally. I don't think it gets any clearer than that. I mean, he's, he's not taking any responsibility for it. He's letting it lay, and if he's going to suffer as a result of it, so be it. That suffering led him to the cross. But he's not going to shirk or, or slink back 
or hide what the Father said. He's going to say it. I don't care who it offends. He's going to say what it is. He thinks the Father has told him to say. And boom, there it is. That's what you got. So point D. So here it is. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. Uh, this is in the context, John 15, 23. We'll get to this verse. I'm going to go to John 15. I know there it is. I think I've quoted it. Just Yeah, I just want to make sure. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. How can he say that? Well, it's easy. It's because uh, it's the Father's teaching. So people, the Jews would not say, well, they hate God, which uh, in essence was the Father. They wouldn't say that. They would just say, well, we hate Christ. In fact, um, 8, 28, and 29 is more information about that. 8, 28, John 8, that is, says, So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, in other words, when you crucify me, when you kill me, then you will know that I am, uh, that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. Verse 29, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. So there, there you have, I mean, literally, this is, this is why Jesus was persecuted. This is why he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. is because of the message he bore. Well, what's the message? The Father's eternal purpose. Then there's John 13, 20. John 13, 20. Uh, I told you it was more of a Bible study this week. It says, very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Notice how that works. Right? They will hate you. Why will they hate you? Because of me. Why will they accept you? Because they accept me. Well, whoever accepts me accepts the one, Christ is saying, accepts the one who sent me. Well, who sent the Christ? The Father. That's important to know. Because the information, the doctrine that the Father will bring, if you say you hate that, then you're saying you hate the Father's plan. Without saying you hate the Father's plan. You hate his teachings. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world's teaching is opposed to the Father. In fact, the world's teaching is what crucified Christ. So Christ opposed it. And he told them what was coming. And then John 14, 24, which you already recovered in great detail, which says, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. My teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Literally, Jesus is saying, verbatim, this is what the Father is saying. It's not my words, literally. It is the Father's words speaking through me. So, that is important to understand. Point E, the teaching of Christ as he unfolded the mystery must be our teaching as well. Well, I'm, I'm seeing our time. Israel is postponed until after the rapture. Now, John 17, 20, I have to just read this one. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for also for those who, notice, who believe in me 
But it's not just any message, it's through their message. What's the message? That all of them will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And, I, and literally, it's the mystery. So what, what are we creating here? People who should belong to Israel? People who need to be circumcised? Jew and Gentile? No, it's just new oneness. The church. It is through their message. Notice it's not just, well, who, whoever says the magic words, but it is through their message. And all these things Christ had told them in context. And this is where we are in our studying of John 14 through 18. These very critical verses, these, this discourse, which is important for the church to understand. We're moving forward. The teaching uh, of Christ, as he unfolded the mystery, must be our teaching as well. As I said, Israel was postponed. And then lastly, just curious, what are you teaching? What are you teaching? 1 Corinthians 2.13 tells us what we should be teaching. Right? It says, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual reality. So the spiritual realities are the mystery doctrine. That's what's hidden and now is revealed. That's the reality. We know that with Spirit-taught words. The Holy Spirit will guide and direct you. He will lead you into all truth. He will not speak of himself. So all those things are happening. What are you teaching? What is your church teaching? If they're not teaching this information, I have to wonder, what are they teaching? Are they hiding like Peter was? So here is what we are going to do. We are going to resolve that. We are going to say the same thing as Christ. We're going to have the mind or the thinking of Christ. That's what we're being transformed into. We're going to focus our attention, not on earthly things, but on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let's bow our heads. We are out of time this week. God willing, we'll be back next week. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We thank you for those who have participated and given us their time have made decisions to, to, to show up and, and to reason with us around your word. We thank you that even though this world is evil and all of the, the terrible things, the persecution, we're thankful to be here, able to serve and to bring your word to a dying world. All of this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.